to you from Byron, Mississippi. It's Lakeshore Church. And now we join Pastor Jay Frazier for today's message. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there, if you have a copy of God's Word. One of the signs of the end for the church, and I believe it's for the church, is of that day, the end times, is that the church will have a form of godliness, but no power. I, I want to show that. We, we've sort of changed up. I, I did it at the, at the first service. But guys, would you just put verse number five up there? We, we've done one through four several times already. But this is what it says. It says, in the last days that people will hold to a form of godliness, a form, but deny its power. Deny its power. And I look at the church today, and we've come up with every excuse. You're going to see some of it because I've gone back and researched it. Some of the scripture that I'll share with you today, the New Testament, the modern church has said, oh, that was first century stuff. That doesn't apply to us today. Healing and miracles and power-filled churches, seeing God come in, in a glorified way and amazing ways in the church, many people have removed themselves from that and said, that's not for us. That was the first century to get everybody's attention about the New Testament church. And I just want to tell you something, I don't agree with that, not one bit. I think today God is waiting in heaven a friend of mine wrote a new book, and I've been reading some of it, and, and uh, he reminded me of something that I've heard for years, and he, he put in there, and, and I thought about yesterday, or Friday, I should say. This is what he says. He said that he reminded me of it, because I've heard that as well, that there's a room in heaven, some people speculate there's a room in heaven that has presents in it, that are wrapped and got bows on them, all in this huge room, and somebody's going to ask the Lord one day, what, what are these presents for? And he said, this was all the things I wanted to do for people but they never asked me or believed for it. So I want to ask you today, in the next few minutes as we explore this, when God looks at your life, what does he see? Not what you see, but what does God see? And then are there unkept blessings and power and territory that God has for each one of us that we've settled for at least second in our life instead of everything that God wants us to have? Uh, one of my favorites, Leonard Ravenhill, wrote some phenomenal books. But uh, this is what Leonard Ravenhill said about the church. He said, the less power a church has, the more entertainment it has. And, and, and I told you it's going to be heavy. Some of it is. It, it's love. It's, it's those kind of things. And, and this is not at anybody. This is for us to be what God wants us to be, both individually and collectively, in this desperate day that we're living in. But I do find myself today wondering how much of it becomes entertainment. Versus how much do we connect with the Lord? Uh, I get a lot of compliments, and it's not, hey, look at me, but people talk about preaching truth. Well, here it is. That in the last days, what will be known of, of I believe, the church, what will be known of believers is that they have a form of it, but they deny many of the essence things, the, the essential things that God wants to do. See, look at Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. Uh, I, I, I label this as signs of the believers that this is, and I'll tell you the background a little bit. Many people believe, and I embrace this as you look. Mark, they believe, wrote the first gospel. And I've always said it this way, and it could be a better way to say it maybe, but I believe Luke and, and Matthew looked over his shoulder. You with me? And then John wrote a total different gospel, you know, about his relationship with Jesus and different things. Totally different than the other two. But this is what Mark said, what he recounted that Jesus said to the disciples after the resurrection, he said, later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had, he had risen. 
Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Good people don't go to heaven. Amen? Ones who repent. Ones who come to know Christ. Throw baptism in there. I had a conversation with somebody this week about, well, they believe, the churches believe that, you know, unless you're baptized. Well, here's your verse. Uh, I tell people the thief on the cross went to heaven. He wasn't baptized. I know Jesus hadn't been resurrected and the Pentecost hadn't happened. Uh, I believe grace is bigger than that. When you believe the Lord, maybe you didn't get under the water. But I'll tell anybody and everybody here and anybody that hears through our virtual platforms that if you haven't been baptized, I believe you need to. I believe it's an act of obedience to the Lord. We have too much scripture that tells us to not to, not to do it. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. (laughs) There's the sermon title right there. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And see, this is what the church has done. We take this passage and we go, oh no, that was just for those first guys. That was just the ones that Jesus was talking to. I want to ask you a question. Do you still think God is the great physician or not? Do you think still anything and everything is still subject to the creator, God, that we serve and we love? So reality is somewhere, I'd say this, you could, some people have debunked it that it was first century, but I want to ask, I want to pose this question, what if it was meant for you and me? What if it was meant for all of us to occupy a power territory in our life so that other people would experience Christ the way we have through our lives? Hmm. Far too many times it's a form of godliness. That's what the scripture says. Uh, some of you would know, but most of you wouldn't. My son, for four, the last four years, has been working in the concrete industry. And yet this picture, I think, is a great visual of many people in their relationship with the Lord. You can tell that's going to be a building, right? It's got a form, but it doesn't have anything on the inside yet. And many people in their walk with God... I believe we've got the form. We've come today. We've cleaned up well. We looked the part. It's Sunday, so we're going to adhere to a certain part of it. And so we have a form of godliness. But in the day and age we live in, I believe God needs some people to have power so that we can stand in the dark days and be creatures and people of light. I just believe it. And I believe in this day and age, we've sold ourselves that if I can just make it to heaven, then I'm going to be okay. And God's called us to more than that before, until we get there. He really has. He wants us to be people of light today because we live in desperate darkness. And I hear it on every level. We had a young lady a few weeks ago that stood and testified with tears running down her face because she stood for Christ at her high school. Right now in America, there's a boy that was suspended from his football team because he believed in just two genders. I, when I read that, I went, that's got to be a joke. The head football coach suspended a man in the Northeast, a young man, because he said it was his belief and understanding that there are only two genders, not 90-something likes out there now. I mean, listen, we're going to hell in a handbasket, folks. We are. And we look at it and we go, and I'll tell you, I've been saying it for a year. It's a Genesis issue. God created male and female. Now, if a male wants to run after a male and a female wants to run after a female, that's a whole other subject. How in the world did we get 90-something genders out of male and female? Don't worry. I'm on Facebook. You're not. But think about it. Crazy. I'm still looking for somebody to say, maybe there's still just a little element of sickness in our world. And quit legitimizing everything. Something comes out, and we're the bad guy because we say, I don't agree with that. Well, I applaud a teenager boy who says there's only two genders, and he believes it. And let me tell you the good news. They already got them a lawyer, and he's suing everybody he can. 
And this is the premise. First Amendment applies to me too. And I want to say that publicly today. The First Amendment applies to Jay Frazier too. That I can believe what I want to believe in America and I still believe in freedom of religion and freedom of speech and I'm going to stand for it. And I know you agree with me, but let me tell you something. Oh, and I can't believe I'm fixing to say this. The day comes that Lakeshore Church does not no longer agree with the stand that I take according to God's word. I'm going to tell it somewhere. Amen. Amen? Now, I know you do. And I know you're for me for the most part. But listen to me. We need to understand today that what's going on in our world is the child of God has cowered down to the enemy. And it's time for God's people to arise and to wake up and take the stand that God needs us to take in the day and age we're living in. Oh, listen, my stuff went away. I must move on. <laughs> Form of godliness, inside and out. Listen to this. Position is enough, isn't it? But what about power? Huh. Place at the table is great. He's my heavenly father. He set, a place to, he set a table place for me. I sit at the table. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God to join heir with Jesus Christ. To have the presence of Almighty God in your life, meet you in the prayer room, meet you when you get up, meet you when you go to bed, meet you with you when you go riding down the road, listen to a godly song in the presence of God just comes in that vehicle. Isn't that great? But what about power? Peace with God is heavenly. But what about the power God said I'm supposed to have in my life? Acknowledging our purposes. I'm all about mission statements and purpose statements. All that stuff is grand. If you don't know where you're going, you won't know when you get there. I'm all for that. But what about the power that accompanies it? Aren't we all pursuing heaven? Aren't we progressing toward heaven? Don't we all want to make heaven our home? Amen? I want to get there. Oh, the, the alternative's not too good. But what about the power before I get there? I share those things with you to remind you that God's, he's done more for us than that. We have more assets than that. We have more benefits. We have more things that God expects of us than just going through the motions, playing out the string until we get, get home to heaven. Hmm. Let me give you some scriptural evidence today. Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he, he replied to the Lord Jesus, said, who do people say that I am? And they spoke up and they said, some of them believe that you're Elijah, come back from the grave. Some believe you're John the Baptist. Some believe you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus got personal. He said, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter spoke up like he often did. He said, you're the Christ. <laughs> what a great passage. You're the Messiah. And another place he asked, will you also go away? And he said, why will we go away? You have the words to eternal life. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. We've hooked up to you. We're staying. But this is what happened. He said to Peter, he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. Hmm. How about that? And he said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You need to hear today that if you feel like you're being bashed for your stand, I want you to know God didn't bring you this far to let you down or let you go. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Several years ago, it hit me just in my own study time. I've been saying that a lot lately. I don't remember when it happened. I don't think it was in a sermon first. It hit me just reading God's words. You know the gates of hell are static. They're not this pulsating heartbeat thing that's fixing to fall over on us. The gates of hell are static. They're the boundaries. They're the perimeters to hell itself. And I want you to know the church is supposed to be active. Amen. We're supposed to display, the, we're supposed to display power that God gave us over the enemy. Keep giving him credit that he doesn't have. His teeth's already been pulled, folks. The only power that the devil has, the power you give him in an unsurrendered area of your life. Wow. He said it, I said it. Listen, Ephesians 6 talks about the sword of the Spirit. You remember the full armor, the whole armor of God? I put you on the whole armor of God. We learned all that in Sunday school as a child. Did you know there's only one offensive weapon in the whole armor of God, and it's the sword of the Spirit? 
I want to encourage you now. You talk about, well, I don't have much power in my life. Let me ask you, analyze your life and tell me how much of the word you have in your life. I found out that when I'm a student of God's word and staying in God's word, I have more power at my disposal. I live better when I spend more time in God's word. Well, you're supposed to. You're the preacher. Well, I'm talking about my own personal time. Sword of the spirit. See, we have a bunch of defenseless. We circle the wagons like the old westerns, and the devil's taking shots at us, but God's called us to be on the aggressive. He's called us that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Instead of this retracted thing, oh, no, I can't take another one. God's given us a sword. Amen? Hey, I just want you all to know something. This is terrible to say, but I want you to know I'm packing today. I'm packing. Did he say that? I'm packing. It's not a gun. It's a sword. And there are people today walking into their Christian life every day and they're unprepared. They're not packing. Let me tell you something. It's time for God's children to arise. We live in a desperate day. God says we're supposed to be about power, not these little wimpy, not little wimpy people walking around. People of power. I'll give you a couple more in the Word. Listen, Jesus told the disciples in Luke 9, verse 1, He gave them authority. Authority. <laughs> he gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. Wow. Doesn't sound like a lot you hear going on today. Ephesians 4.27 says, give no place to the devil. I'll remind you, folks, there's a lot of times today we say, we've been tried like Job. A year ago, I wasn't incarcerated. I was actually doing prison ministry every week. But for several years in Georgia, I went to a prison every week and had a Bible study. And inevitably, I'd ask, oh, how you doing? How, y'all go? how you guys doing? And some of them say, oh, I'm being tried like Job. I heard that all the time. It got to be comical. I mean, I would, somebody asked me, so preacher, how you doing? I'm being tried like Job. That's what I heard last Sunday evening or last Tuesday, whatever, we were doing the Bible study. But I'm being tried like Job. And then we finally had a conversation. I studied it out, and I went, listen, you need to understand that if you have an unsurrendered area in your life, you're not being tried like Job. Job was righteous in every part of his life, and the enemy had to go through the throne room to tempt him. If I have an unsurrendered area in my life, if, I, if I'm giving place to the devil, I have something that I keep for myself, and it is not surrendered to the Lord. I am not being tried like Job. I've given a place to the devil. And let me tell you what I know about place to the devil. He hangs out there, doesn't he? And he brings it up all the time. And maybe today the best thing you could do is surrender that area to the Lord, to the, to the Lord so the enemy can quit hanging out there. Oh, let me give you one more. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Love it. Today is about self-assessment. Today, if you're empty, today, if you're calloused and you're just, you know, used to be on fire, used to know it, maybe you've never been there. Maybe I'm telling you stuff, you say, he's way out there today. I just want you to know it's your choice. The measure of God that you have in your life is your choice. Empty? Well, I'd love to introduce you to a God today that wants to fill you up. Hmm. Empty or plenty, we decide. I want to, I as a backdrop, and this got to be a God thing because I'm not that bright, and you can amen that. That's, that's fine. I won't be too offended. When I was studying this some time ago, the, the, the thought of Moses and the burning bush came to mind. It had to be one of those God things because I didn't really know the details. And when I, I began to read and re-familiarize myself that story, it fit exactly where we are today in our world. Powerless children of God. Rex. Rex riding down the street. Man, listen to me. I think about the burning bush. You remember the story? Moses was a young lad, and they were out to kill all the Hebrew boys, and so his mother hit him. Remember that? Hit him in the bulrushes. 
He ended up in Pharaoh's house, remember? And they got his mid, his mama was his midwife for several years. You remember that? And how he grew up and said when he got older, he saw an Egyptian that was, that was hurting a Hebrew and he raised up against him and killed him. And the next day he was around some other Hebrews and, and he asked the question. He said, uh, and they were fighting and fussing. And he said, why are y'all doing this to each other? And one turned to him and said, are you going to kill one of us just like you did the Egyptian yesterday? <laughs> and it scared Moses. He left where he was and went out into the wilderness. I wonder how many people are hearing this today, both in person and also virtually, that you would you define your life as a wilderness today. The first thing I would say is that shell is there. You, you got the look, but yet there's emptiness on the inside. For decades, Moses was out in the wilderness. Away from anything he knew to be normal, he was just away. He got married, had kids. And the day came where God began to move on Moses' heart. We know it as the burning bush. God speaks to him. Which leads to the second thing. God always brings us to an episode in our life. He always brings us to a spot. There's always been events in our life. Mine, I would say my first one was I was seven when I realized I was lost and undone without God or son. I was in church on a Sunday night, and I, was, I, I needed a Savior. Another one was I was called when I was 14, called to preach at summer camp, just like the teenagers go to camp these days. Others in my life. Me being at Lakeshore Church was just next chapter in my life when I had an event. I thought where I pastored, I would die there. I really did. I honestly, before the Lord, thought I would die there. Does that say there 22 years? But God had other plans. God always has episodes in our life. Don't you ever forget it. And I wonder how many people today... God's awakening the next spot. <laughs> it was for Moses. Moses sees a burst. Don't you know this is a God thing when you see a bush burning, but it's not burning? That's a big time day, isn't it? So we all have spots. And I pray today that if you need that, if you need the episode in your life, that today's the day. Don't you miss it. Thirdly, and this is huge. I ran this by the men this past Friday in the cafe. Start the day in the cafe. And... Um, God came in that moment, and I'm trusting the same thing will happen here. But listen to me very carefully. The next thing happens, Moses starts toward the burning bush to see if it's really happening. And God stops him. Go read the story. And tells him that if you're going to stay on this holy ground, you've got to take those shoes off. Several years ago, this hit me. What's the big deal about his shoes anyway? And this thought hit me right or wrong. It works for me, and I think it'll work for you. God doesn't want anything between us and him. Even a pair of shoes. We have put so many things out there and we expect God to accept it, God to be okay with it, and God says they keep you from the best in, my, in your life. So there might not be anything with shoes wrong with shoes in their own environment, but to be on holy ground, to do something exceptional, extraordinary for God, God's going to ask you for the shoes too. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. and many people miss that. They wonder why they don't have the peace that they need in their life. They wonder why the measure of God has not been what it needs to be in their life. And many times it comes down to the shoes. Those things, those extras in our life that keep us from God's best. God always deals with those things, doesn't he? I start marriage. Lord, why don't you change Suzanne? The Lord speaks back and says, it's your shoes. Why don't you fix my kids? Jay, it's your shoes. Why don't you do this in the church? It's those shoes, Jay. It's those things that you treasure more than you do me. It's that thing, that attitude, that event, that person, that relationship that got between you and me. And you can't be everything that you need to be until you deal with the shoes. And yet, you know what we do? Well, God, I don't want to deal with that, so let's go do something else. 
and we forfeit. We substitute something less than God's best. The shoes. It continues. Then we have the spark. We have the event itself. When it happens, when God restores, when God feels, when God saves, when God shows up, God changed. Things occur. God removes the world from us, and it keeps burning. What an amazing thing. Let me give you one more, and I say this. We need to hear it. It's also the story. <laughs> when I think about empty or plenty, we decide the story's been written every day. This is one of those hard things for me, but listen to me very carefully. One of the things that has guided me through the years and also broken my heart at times is I wonder when God looks at Lakeshore Church, what does he see? I'm not here to indict you. I, I, I'm the pastor, but I say this. I wonder what God sees. Does he see a powerful locomotive that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against us? Or does he see us just going through it? I didn't say this to hurt you. But folks, we've got to be real. If I know one thing about the end times of Jesus coming back, it's about time for the church to get real. Amen? It's about time for me to deal with the things in my life that are, that are apathetic and complacent, the things in my life that don't bring glory and honor to the Lord, and God to sure up me because he's coming. That's what I think. I know this is tough. I told you. It's heavy. But the story's being written every day. When I stand in front of the Lord... I wonder how far Lakeshore is from the church the last 10 years, from the church that God wants us to be. When Moses was at the burning bush, all Moses could see was right then. God saw the end of it. You're going to see the end of it in about 10 minutes. It's pretty neat stuff, the story. There is an ending to every story. I don't know about you, but I can't stand movies when you think you know the ending. It's going to end sappy. I love romance. I love romantic movies. But when the guy doesn't get the girl... Somebody dies at the end, I think. And we've actually paid money before at the theater. And go watch a show. And I walk out of there going, why did we come? I'd rather watch some, you know, violence movie. Folks getting killed than I would some romantic movie. It didn't turn out well. Y'all with me? I, I, when I want sappy, I want sappy to end well. I don't want sappy to end badly. But you know what? Your story, listen, and my story are being written every day. And God wants our stories to end well. You remember the well, don't you? Well done. When I was walking through this deal with Mo Moses' story, I, I read the next chapter. It's chapter 4 of Exodus. And some amazing things leaped out at me in Exodus 3 and 4. And it, and it references a hand. <laughs> Moses said this, and I could see myself there, Lord. Now, now Lord, you got these, this job you got me to do. You want me to go see Pharaoh. I've seen him kill folks just because they misbehave. And you want me to go stand in front of Pharaoh and tell him to let all these uh, Hebrews go. He said, Lord, I I, I, by the way, Lord, who am I going to tell him that sent me? God speaks to him and says, tell him I am sent you. I love that. You know what I've come to tell you today? God is I am in your life. He's not I was. He's not even I will be. Don't put God so far out in the future that you miss him today. He's I am. If you're going through something today, God is a present help in trouble. He's not tomorrow. He's not yesterday. He's today. He said, tell him I am. And Jesus actually said that. Jesus said, I am the way of the life. You know, he, Jesus said, I am a bunch too that put him together with the Father because he's deity. So, so we have the hand of God involved in our life. 
And then he said, well, what if that doesn't work? Don't you love Moses? What if that doesn't work? He said, what do you have in your hand, Moses? Just a stick. He said, throw it down. And when he threw it down, it became a serpent. It became a snake. I've often thought if I had been Moses, I'd have been there a while on this next commandment. He tells Moses to pick it up, but he didn't say pick him, pin him up behind his head. He said pick him up by the tail. And when he picked him up by the tail, it became a staff again. So now we've got what's in your hand. And I want you to hear this today. Wherever God has you, wherever, wherever he's planted you, he's already given you the assets in your life for you to be able to live for him. Amen? Huh? Some will say, well, what do you mean? I'm talking about the word. I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about talents. I'm talking about abilities. God's already given you resources. He's already given you the staff so that you can be victorious. You're going to see this greatly in just a few minutes. I'm so excited. And then one more thing. He said, and then God speaks and says, I want to show you something else, Moses. He said, put your hand inside your shirt. And when Moses pulled it out, he had leprosy in his hand. Don't you imagine that was a neat time? Well, I guess I'm going to be this way forever, God. Is this all you got for me? I'm going to walk around like this one-handed man. He said, put it back in your shirt. And when he pulled it back out, it was just like it was in its original state. Folks, let me tell you something. The modern-day church has been sold a bill of goods that don't add up. I'm telling you, the great physician that was standing in front of Moses that day or was in Moses' presence that day is the same God we serve today. Amen? And if he's able to do it for Moses, he's able to do it for you and me. If he's able to bring money out of a fish's mouth, if he's able to depart the waters, if he's able to bring dark, light out of darkness, you and I can know today that he's able to take care of us. But so many times we've sold ourselves short. So I've come to tell you today, think about it. Huh? Is God able? Yes, he is. Ephesians 3.20 says he's able to do exceeding abundantly more than you and I could ever ask or think of him. According, watch this, according to the power that works within us. If you never allow him his preeminence in your life, he can't do it. Hmm. So many people today, oh, God can do whatever he wants to. No, he can't. He has set it up in a way he cannot save a person who does not want to be saved. He cannot deliver a person who does not want to be delivered. Hmm? Think about it. We have the great I am. God's already given us the resources that we have at our disposal to be what God wants us to be. And let me tell you something. We serve a God that can take care of us. What great illustrations we have of God's hand. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I've already shown you what you can do. Watch it now. Why are you crying out? Tell them to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff. Y'all see it now? You already have the assets, Moses. I've already shown you what it will do. Watch this now. Stretch out your hand over the sea. You got to, you can't, I can't let you not get this one. We have the assets. We have God at our disposal. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Huh? He hasn't brought us this far to let us down or let us go. We have the authority of God on our life. But watch this. But also lift up your hand. Hmm? See what man does with a lot of you. Remember when Moses struck the rock? Y'all remember that part? Left this out of the first service. You remember when he struck the rock? You know the problem God had with him? Is that Moses took all the authority out of God and it became a Moses thing. Pow! When Moses hit the rock, it was no longer God's authority. When he spoke to it, it had to be a God thing. But when he struck it, it became a Moses thing. So people could look at it and go, Ooh, that brother Jay, he's preaching today. The sermon is only as good as the anointing that God puts on it. And we need to hear that in every part of our life. 
He's given us the staff. But watch this. But stretch forth your hand. In other words, if we're not going to bless God, if we're not going to give Him glory and Him credit, you do what you can do. And then God do it, will do what He will do. Huh? You take what God's already given you and you give glory and honor to Him. And you lift up holy hands unto the Lord because it's all about Him. And then God's going to show up and do what only God can do.